You're on Radio 191 FM Politrix show, and we've got Robert Patman. Are you there, Robert? Oh, good morning, George. Good morning, good morning. Um, uh, I should just say, uh, Robert Patman is the uh, head of the politics department here at Otago. So, Robert, this morning we woke up and uh, saw Russia's first airstrikes in Syria. It's currently uh, kind of not exactly clear who they're who they're targeting. Um, and over the weeks, we've seen a build-up in in Russia's uh, assets in in Syria. Um, what what's Putin's strategy here? Is is he is he trying to get a seat at the table, as it were? Well, I suppose he would argue he already had his uh, seat at the table because he's been. Uh, one of the most generous backers of President Assad since Assad started crushing the opposition. In it should be re, it should be recalled that with the Arab awakening uh, in March uh, 2011, uh, people started to peacefully demand initially the removal of the Assad regime. But the peaceful protesters were within a month or so brutally crushed and 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 machine gunned, and that led almost inevitably. I mean. Once unarmed people are killed en masse, it almost inevitably generates <clears throat> um, armed resistance, and that's what happened. We uh, unfortunately Syria was plunged into a civil war, right? Um, and uh, Russia has no, has never had any apparent reservations about backing the Assad dictatorship in mm-hmm. the long-term relationship. And so, coming to your question, yes, I think Russia sees itself as. Uh, uh, a reliable backer of the regime and uh, I think you, we can interpret the escalation of the Russian presence in the last month as a sign that the Russians are becoming very concerned about the long-term viability of the Assad regime and believe it needs additional military support at this point in time. Right, and and activists on, on the ground have said that uh, these airstrikes are possi- possibly actually striking non uh, not ISIL but um, Elements of the of 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 uh, maybe the Islamic Front or Al Nusra or is there is there do you have any clarification around that? Yes, I do because you what we have to remember here is that President Assad has always defined all opponents to his regime as terrorists. Mm. So when Mister and I think Mister Putin and Mister Assad have a similar understanding of the term terrorist, which is basically opposition to the regime, whether it be. Islamic State, or, if you like, the more moderate, democratically orientated opposition, which has taken up arms. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's any great surprise. When Mr. Putin talks about forming a united front against Islamic State, that's essentially uh, a bit of a smokescreen, because I think what he wants to do is relieve pressure on the Assad regime, whether it's coming from Islamic State or the other armed rebels, who are actually... A uh, opposed to Islamic State and Assad, mm, and obviously uh, we've seen around uh, Idlib and stuff the uh, uh, is- Islamic Front, the non-ISIL ISIL groups yeah. um, taking ground. So you you think it is a question of Assad's long-term kind of survivability? I think so. Yes, he, he's been losing ground in the last few months, and uh, uh, the regime will eventually fall. Yeah, uh, but Mr. Putin is taking a huge gamble here. Uh, he's, Ukraine has been a strategic disaster for him, mm. uh, particularly on the economic front with the Russian economy now. Mm. Does that does that fit in somehow? I mean, it, well, it could do. It's changing the conversation. Yeah. Um, in a sense, Mr. Putin has stolen a march on the Americans by you know, 
sort of uh, taking the initiative about organising and rallying opposition to what he calls Islamic State. But that, I think, or, or terrorism in Syria, but that includes, of course, as we said before, um, the opposition which the Western world is supporting against Assad. And so, in a sense, I mean, it's very difficult to interpret what Mr. Putin's doing. Mm. It's a high-risk strategy. Um, he's a, Russia is basically a regional power, which is trying to act like a superpower. But it's, he's playing a, a poor hand quite well at the moment. But it is also based a little bit on bluff. Mm, right. uh, the Americans have already put enormous, as with the Europeans, almost enormous pressure on the Russian economy. The Russian economy is zero growth this year, 190 billion has left the country in the last 18 months and the ruble its value has plunged that's not sustainable and what I, I think the thing that worries me a little bit at the moment I think that Mr. Putin may be misreading the Obama administration and uh, he may well be think he can push it around uh, I, 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 you know quite frankly if, if there is a confrontation I think Mr. Putin will pay the biggest price well it does he kind of look at the Obama administration? I mean, the, we've had news recently about the U.S. training mission, the, the the failures around that. I mean, does does he look at it and say, they don't have a strategy, I can basically do what I want and prod what I want here? I, I think he believes... He's either underestimating the complexity of, it, of Syria or he believes um, in old-fashioned power politics, which mm. is... And he, he demonstrated that in the Ukraine, but it didn't work. I don't think he'll have any more success in Syria. What's more, not only will he have the world's most powerful country um, unreservedly against him, but he will have the whole of the Arab world. Right. I mean, the Saudis and other uh, actors at the moment, the Sunni world within mm. the Middle East, are furious with the Russians. And, uh, you know, it's quite blatant that this is opportunism. And he is trying to basically prop up the Assad regime and essentially, um, you know, have big, reassert Russia as an influential player. Now, you know, I, I, I think that's going to come at a price, both basically to the economy, but also to the international reputation of Russia. Yeah. Where does, where does this leave strategies like the uh, Turkey's kind of safe areas? And um, we heard General Petraeus and, and uh, Senator McCain going on about uh, no-fly zones, which, you know, seem like a nice idea. Where, where does this Russia build up, Russian build-up leave that kind of action? Well, you know, the Russian build-up looks neat and clear, but it won't work. I mean, the, the, the American invasion of Iraq in 2003 looked neat and clear, but mm. it didn't work. Right. I don't, why, I don't know why people are getting, you know, believe that Mr. Putin has a strategist and Obama isn't. I Look, think Obama yeah. is basically realising... It doesn't matter if you put troops in. It doesn't matter how much air power you use. You're not going to necessarily rearrange the furniture in the way you want on the ground. Well, yeah, it, it's funny listening to Putin at the UN talking about uh, Western failure in the Middle East, and then he, he's going to try and do basically well, the same let's thing. let's be quite clear about this. His support for Assad hmm. has been the principal factor in the rise of the Islamic State. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. The Americans got the Islamic State rolling by invading Iraq, which was a, a strategic disaster. Mm, but without Assad. But without Assad has been the principal catalyst. And we should be absolutely clear about this, because there's a lot of commentary, which at the moment is very muddled, 
and is confusing um, cause and effect. Yes. Assad is the principal catalyst, the emergence of the Islamic State. And the, from what I can gather, the Syrian people want neither the Islamic State nor Assad. And I think, although it may not be popular to say it, ultimately, if the Americans tailor their position to suit that, that environment, that is, try to keep in mind the views of the majority of Syrians who want neither Assad nor Islamic State, I think the policy will eventually succeed. But it's going to be messy, but we live in a messy world now. Mm. Mm. Um, with uh, so news also this morning, just to to oh actually well, the U.S. elections, uh, you know, for two thousand sixteen. Yeah. How would you see a, a Hillary administration or a Rubio administration or a Bush? I mean, that obviously more into the general elections. They'll talk about foreign policy. Yeah, but I, I think it's very difficult to read that at this stage, George. Um, they are basically into point scoring at the moment, as you can understand. They want to establish themselves. And candidates, it's often a difficult transition from being a candidate to being a power holder. Hmm. And uh, as one buddy once said, we're all tigers out of office. You can always make strong statements until you have the responsibility of running the country. Right. Um, it's interesting uh, because it seems to me one of the features of the 2016 at least primary uh, nomination process, the primary season, is that the legacy candidates, Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton, have struggled. And uh, mm. um, the two underdogs, respectively Donald Trump, although, of course, describing him as an underdog seems strange, <laughs> um, and also uh, Bernie Sanders, has been a bit of a, a shock to the political establishment. I think it reflects that many Americans, irrespective of whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are uh, tired of the political establishment in Washington and want yeah. some uh, new ideas. And we shouldn't underestimate the degree of frustration <clears throat> with uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate in the United States. It's considerable. And uh, I suppose both Sanders and Trump are seen as outsiders running against Washington, and I think that's part of their appeal. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely some um, anger with with a, a stalled Congress. Uh, just lastly, where do you see New Zealand and and all this, the me the mess in Syria, and mm. our position on the the Security Council? Well, I, I I think George that the mess in Syria reinforces New Zealand's conviction that the veto. In, on the Security Council must be seriously constrained or even eliminated because the veto, the use of the veto by the P5, that's the permanent members of the Security Council, has generated situations, it's contributed to international problems simply not being treated and getting worse. Hmm. I mean, you know, Syria is a case in point. But you could also say, um, well, the Russians exercised the veto in the Syrian situation when the Americans tried to lead a pass a resolution which would have called for him to stand down. But you could equally say that about the Palestinian-Israeli deadlock. Right. Yeah. Every single resolution which has attempted to get more protection for the Palestinians, the occupied, has been vetoed by the Americans. Mm. So, in, in, in short, it, the UN Security Council just can't deal with situations like Gaza, like Ukraine, where the Russians have exercised the veto, like Syria. So, in a sense, it's become irrelevant. I think the New Zealand role on the Security Council is to remind the P5 group that ultimately it's in their interest to have 
a functional UN Security Council rather than this functional symbolic organization that it now is. Right. Okay. Uh, th- thanks for that, uh, Robert. Um, Thank you. Thanks for, for your uh, <coughs> commentary on that. Uh, and we'll talk to you again sometime. See you later. Thanks, George. Cheers. Bye. See ya.